Pick 6 Podcast Special Edition Saturday. What is going on? It's a six-day work week for uh, for yours truly. Will Brinson here doing uh, doing the daily thing. We're expanding the podcast. People, The people requested it, so we're dragging it into Saturday. And, in fact, uh, we're going to take a break on Sunday, and then we're going to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right into Monday, right through the draft. Unlimited podcast for the next week. Uh, every morning, subscribe via iTunes. People are legitimately throwing up reviews and ratings on that. I really, really appreciate it. It makes uh, it makes the bosses happy. It drives the iTunes number up, and um, you know, more more good is good is good. More good is good for me and good for you guys too. So uh, let's dive into a seven round mock draft special with my friend and editor R.J. White. R.J., what's going on, man? I'm I'm more good. Happy to be here. I don't know what that was a second ago, but uh, more good. I don't either. It was sort of a, um, what's good for you is good for me. Like, if people like the podcast, then it's beneficial for everyone involved for them to download and rate and review, because then I get to do more of, of in theory, what they like, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense this time. Yes, I didn't, I didn't make sense at first. <laughs> you know why it didn't make any sense? Because I'm drinking beer. I'm cracking my second Funky Buddha hop gun. I'm in North Carolina, but I'm still drinking Fort Lauderdale beer. How about that, huh? Congratulations. I'm very excited. All right, let's dive in because we have a lot of ground to cover with your seven-round mock draft. First of all, how many – I'm not even going to say hours. How many days did it take you to compile the seven-round mock draft where you literally make, as the entire league will do, a pick for every team over seven rounds? Well, it obviously takes quite a while. I, I – uh... I kind of game the system by doing a no trades mock draft uh, before that, so I had more time to kind of work on on the crazy one. Um, but I'd say I don't know a week and a half, two weeks probably. Okay, and so just so we, if people aren't clear, and I don't think there's a vanity URL, but you can go to cbssports.com backslash NFL backslash draft, or you know probably over the next week, just cbssports.com. It'll be highly featured, and you'll be able to find it. But RJ did a this draft involves trades throughout all seven rounds, so. Like you have, for instance, this would be my first question. You have the Seahawks trading back twice, um, into the first round, but, but like you did trades into the seventh round, right? I mean, there, there are trades at every level here. Right. At some point, like, you know, why are you going to trade up in the seventh round to, to target a right. specific guy? We don't know where these guys are, are, are going, you know, once it gets that late anyway, but I did trade seventh rounders, you know, to move up earlier in the draft. So if a team, you know, had somebody getting in, in the range that I think that they would like a guy, they might trade their seventh rounder to move up, you know, eight spots in the fifth round, whatever, and get that guy. And, and to be clear, this is not so much a prospect party as it is a team needs. Like, all right, because at the, at the end of the day, I mean, once you get past, I don't know, if, I don't know if everybody knows this, but like, once you get past the third round, and maybe once you get past the third round, anybody that could be drafted in between the fourth round and seventh round, it's. And I used this phrase the other day, and it's you know not a literal blender, but it's like throwing these guys in a blender because you could go in the fourth round or you could fall all the way to to being an undrafted free agent or to the seventh round, right? I mean, it's it, there's no there's a lot of times there's no rhyme or reason on whether a guy is a fourth rounder versus seventh rounder, right? And it just kind of depends, I think, on um, where these teams feel like uh, other teams might be targeting these guys. So if there's a guy they really like that they would normally have a seventh round grade on, maybe they take him in the fifth just because they know. Four or five other teams are looking at this guy too. If it's a if it's a prospect they like that um they feel like they might be the only one that would draft him, then of course they're going to wait to the seventh round and get that guy. All right, let's start off. Seahawks trade back twice. 
they go, they take number 18 and they parlay it into number 35, number 64 and number 95 overall. Um, perfectly fine way of doing business. The Seahawks have done it for the last five years. I wonder though, would that be smart by Seattle given that they have sort of suffered, uh, some issues on their roster? In terms of losing guys, and that they could use some premium talent in terms of first round, uh, you know, first round caliber players. But one first round player isn't going to fix the problem in Seattle. No. So when you trade back and you get three guys in rounds two and three, um, all of them should contribute immediately with with how many holes this roster has. So and if you look at Seattle, you said five years. They haven't actually made their original first round pick since like 2011. They, they've traded it for Percy Harvin, for Jimmy Graham to trade back and let the Eagles come up and take Fletcher Cox, to trade back and let court, people come up and take quarterbacks like Paxton Lynch and Teddy Bridgewater. They're just not known for, for staying there and taking that one premium guy. So especially considering they have no day two picks at this point, they have no, no picks in the second round or third round. I think it's – if I had to say one thing for certain in this draft, in my mock draft, it's that Seattle's going to trade back. Yeah. No, that's it. It's it. Well – that Bill Belichick's going to give up three first round picks to move up and get a quarterback at number four. That's really the, the lock, the only lock here. Um, that, that was a joke about our CBS Sports HQ mock draft. I don't know what your, what were your thoughts on that? I so, gave it the amount of laughter it deserved. <laughs> well, it, it, I, I wrote a post on it and it was a, I didn't even realize it at the time, but it's a, it, it's a horrific overpay in terms of draft capital given out by the Patriots to the Browns. But if Sam Darnold ended up being a franchise quarterback, I don't think anybody would blink, right? Well, yeah, but <laughs> I think Bill Belichick would still blink. He's not going to give up that much draft capital to move no, up. It just not. isn't going to happen. Just because you get a good result doesn't mean the process was right. So That's that's I, that's the smart yeah. way of going about it. Uh, and you're right, the uh, the Seahawks, the, the last time, they, I think James Carpenter was their last standstill and draft guy. And I think, I believe that was the second draft under Pete Carroll and John Schneider because they originally took Russell Okung and Earl Thomas, Golden Tate in that second round, Cam Chancellor in that fifth round. And then, of course, the, the famous 2012 draft, they moved up and grabbed Bruce Irvin and then got Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson. But things haven't been so good since then. Do you think that there's something that we can point at where, where the Seahawks have just sort of lost their draft mojo? Or is this, I mean... Scott, Scott McLuhan timing is interesting there, at least in terms of what the Seahawks have produced from the draft in later rounds, right? Yeah, that's part of it. You know, part of it is they were so successful for a few years that, that, that personnel, that coaching staff kind of moves on and gets bigger jobs at other places. True. And you, you can't keep the team together, you know, as much as you want. It's not like you're uh, preserving these people in amber for, for 10, 12 years. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard enough to build one winner in the NFL to, to do what the Patriots have done. And expect that other teams are able to do that. I don't. I don't think that's uh, realistic at all. No, that's a good call too. Because like, like Dan, like you look at Dan Quinn and his drafts in Atlanta have been very good. And you wonder has he taken some of what he learned from Pete Carroll, you know, and, and John Schneider while in Seattle, parlayed it into the same sort of success in Atlanta. And once pe- once people start copycatting you, it becomes uniquely or it becomes significantly difficult to to remain unique. So. And you've got to be willing to adapt at every point. I mean, what worked in 2012 isn't going to work in 2018. You, you see all types of different offenses and defensive schemes have success. Uh, NFL, everyone knows, is cyclical and things come back around. But but uh, if you just keep trying to, to execute that same game plan over and over, teams are going to get wise to it, and it's just not going to work out. Hmm. Interesting. Is there a team that you mocked 
the seven round thing for that you just hate their that you, that you hate the outcome because I mean in theory you should I think when you do a mock draft like when I do my mock drafts I'm never out to get anybody you know I'm not I'm not, I'm not hoping I'm not hoping to produce a loser unless I just know that a team is going to go in a certain direction and I I don't I happen not to like the player that they might take um, but I, I, and I would think with the seven round mock you're still trying to do the same thing you're you're, you're mocking you're mocking for need. But was there anyone when you got done? You're like, man, yeah, that GM is a clown. Yeah, uh, I don't, I didn't like what the Jets did in my mind, <laughs> but uh, it, it's just hard to do. They traded those three second round picks, including one next year, two this year, to move up to three. You know, they're taking a quarterback there, and then your hands are tied from there. They, they need a lot more than just a quarterback, obviously. So in the third round, I gave them a wide receiver, fourth round tight end. That just happened to be the where the value was on in those picks. Uh, I don't know that those are necessarily their biggest needs. But uh, you add those two to the quarterback, then maybe they have a pretty good offense a couple years down the road. Then who knows how the defense is going to look. So I don't know. It's just hard when a team has a lot of needs. You can't address them all in one draft, especially if you've already given up some picks to move up. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, you come away with the number three overall pick, and you actually had them. Okay, well, I will point out that you – I don't like I don't like their draft. It just doesn't look great because you come away with a, third, a fourth-round tight end, a third-round – Wide receiver, even though Equinomius St. Brown, if that is how I think you pronounce it, has uh, an incredible name. But if, if that's your if that's your second prospect that you're pulling out of the draft, then you're probably not going to have a great draft. On the other hand, if you do get a franchise quarterback, then good for you. Uh, you have them taking Josh Rosen over Baker Mayfield. Does that mean you are not buying the significantly uh, loud hype train surrounding Mayfield and the Jets that started to build up in the week leading up to the draft? Yeah, well, when things start to build up in the week leading into the draft, I think you start to take them with a grain of salt because this is obviously the biggest smokescreen season, or, you know, that, that we're going to have as, as the draft approaches closer and closer. So once something the something becomes so loud that that it's hard to block out anything else, I, I think that uh, you need to question it. You can't just take it at face value. Um, obviously, you throw Baker Mayfield in there instead of Josh Rosen in, in the picks. Everything else works out the same. You know, you're still taking a quarterback number three. Then you got to look through the rest of the draft and see what they're going to get. Um, but yeah, I, I would put. I think I wrote in the draft something like uh, Josh Rosen has three inches on Baker Mayfield, and that's about the the distance I would give to put him over over Mayfield at this point. Fifty one, forty nine percent, fifty point one percent. You know, I don't I don't know. It, it could be either guy. Do you like Do you like Rosen better than Mayfield as a draft evaluator? I think I do. I think um, all these guys have flaws. None of them are perfect. None of them are going to succeed no matter the system. You know, it's going to take the right amount of coaching and the right system to get all these guys to succeed. But I do think I like Rosen. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he has everything else. I, I don't buy into the fact that because he has millennial interests <laughs> and, and he might read a little more than the other prospects that that that's a knock on him. I think you want you, you can have success with that guy. You know, we, I was just talking with uh, Jeff Gertula and he compared him to Aaron Rodgers a little bit in that sense. Yeah. And, Maybe it's not the uh, the laser focused, you know, 120 hours a week you know, commitment that you want uh, from your quarterback, but but guys can be successful and still have outside interest too. It's not it's not saying that he's going to be a failure because he likes other things. Well, I mean, the other thing too is we're having this off season, and it is different because Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers have quote unquote earned it. But Tom Brady is questioning the long term future of his. Not his legacy and whether he should keep playing. Aaron Rodgers is frustrated and emotional about uh, his his ability to have input into what the, the Packers do. I mean, these sound like things that would be considered millennial traits, and I don't I don't understand how it, it doesn't make sense to ascribe them to 
the guy who is young just because he's in the age bracket and, and like it doesn't make sense to praise Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady for doing them, for doing the same things that we're criticizing our draft prospect for. Now, you got to come in and take your lumps and I understand that and you got to be a rookie and, and act like a rookie. But I mean, if this is a smart quarterback who, uh, approaches the game differently, I'm, I have no problem with the, the concept of him being a millennial. I mean, everyone's a millennial. And how he's judged is going to is going to depend on how he performs on the field. That's really all it comes down to. Yeah. You can use the millennial stuff as an excuse if he doesn't do well, but if he does well and if he's the next Aaron Rodgers, nobody's going to care. Right. And if right, if Baker Mayfield is great, people will say, "Well, this guy has an incredible fiery attitude and and leadership qualities." And if he stinks, he'll be like, "This guy's Johnny, you know, this guy is Johnny Manziel. Like he's he's too arrogant and too brash." It's, it's, it, we we use he's, those... too short. he's too short. But if he's successful, he's Drew Brees because Drew Brees is short. That's if right. He's successful, then he's too short. You know? Right. Um, you had the Cowboys. Is this what, I can't even read my question. This sounds terrible. I had the Cowboys going with Leighton Vander Esch, and I wrote in the third round, but that's not right. You wouldn't have that's had him. Not... Yeah, you had them going with Leighton Vander Esch, nineteenth overall. Um, yeah, what I did is I think I think I can interpret your uh, your Brinson sprawlings, even though I'm not looking at the page right now. <laughs> what I did is I passed on a receiver in the first round. Yes. Um, a lot of people think that they're going to take a receiver because they cut ties with Des Bryant. Um, I don't know that they necessarily have to. This is a pretty deep draft in my eyes at receiver. There's going to be good good prospects, and I think guys that develop into starters that go on in round two and in round three. So what I had them do is take Vanderesh because I, I think there's four good linebackers in this draft in in Edmonds, in Roquan Smith, in Vanderesh, and in Rashawn Evans. You're not going to have another chance at them outside the first round. Mm. So you take that guy now. You wait till day two and you pick up a receiver. I had them going with Michael Gallup out of uh, Colorado State. I think that guy can come in. He, he's not going to be Des Bryant, but he's going to be a serviceable starter. And in that offense where they're not really highlighting, you know, passes to the receivers as much as in other offenses, they're really ground and pound, you know, take care of the ball and, and let Zeke do his thing. I think Gallup would uh, fit just fine in that offense. It also ignores the idea, not, not your pick, but the, the idea that like, we're just going to get Des Bryant. Well, Des Bryant only had 561 receiving yards as a rookie. I mean, rookie, rookie wide receivers who were taken in the first round, Typically don't live up to the expectations that were created. And I wrote about this, this offseason, but that, that, that were created by that 2014 NFL draft where we had Odell Beckham and Mike Evans and Brandon Cooks and Kelvin Benjamin and Sammy Watkins, who was good, was good then too. And, and probably some one other person that I'm missing, but you know, these guys don't come in and make an impact right away. So you can't, you can't replace Pete Des Bryant, 1200 yards, 12 touchdowns, 90 catches. With some rookie wide receiver, it's just not going to happen. It's definitely not going to happen in this draft class. So I, I, I kind of like that theory for you too. And with Vanderesh, right? If, if they go, if, if like if they go Vanderesh, and something happens to Sean Lee, aren't they in significant? Because I feel like whenever Sean Lee goes out and he goes out a lot, their defense falls off a cliff. So if you can bolster that linebacker position, and all of a sudden, you know, once Sean Lee moves on and he can't be that far away, you have Vander Esch and Jalen Smith, you start to really beef up that middle core of your defense, right? Right, and, and Anthony Hitchens obviously uh, yeah. came out and, and emerged as a, as a good option now, but they lost him too. So if Sean Lee goes down, you're looking at not much at the linebacker position, and that's really been a key for their defense for a long time. So I, I think locking up that position, kind of getting his his air, so even if – he has to play behind Sean Lee for a little bit or, or he's in a, you know, a, a different role in the defense and then moves over to Sean Lee's position when he's ready to hang him up. I think that's a smarter thing. Going back to your, your point about receivers though, building off of that, just because you need a number one receiver doesn't mean 
there's a number one receiver in this draft. You know, right. look at the three guys that are going to be available in the first round. They're all very talented, and and I think they're all going to have some level of success. But none of them are going to be Odell Beckham, Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Des Bryant. You know, all those kind of guys. So just because you need something, you can't wish it into happening. You know, maybe one of them outperforms the uh, what the scouting community thinks of these guys. But if they were top ten talents, they go in the top ten. I thought it was interesting that you had the Detroit Lions now captained by Matt Patricia going with offense with their first two picks. I tend to think they might lean towards a defensive guy, but you had them going with Darius Geis and Dallas Goddard, two very nice picks, by the way, uh, with the first two rounds. Do you, do you really think they'll eschew defense? I think it depends. I think it depends on who's there. Um, Geis would be hard to pass up. They haven't had a feature back you know, worth his salt in a long time. And uh, Geis is a guy that I think is the uh, the consensus number two back at the position. Um, a lot of people think he should go 10 to 15 range. So I think that's a pretty solid value on him. Uh, again, it's it's what comes with reaching. I would love for them to get Marcus Davenport. But in this mock draft, I have the Patriots trading up to 18 and taking Davenport uh, when Seattle moving down the first of their two trades. So if Davenport's on the board, I'm sure Patricia would love to have him. But just because you miss out on, on uh, Davenport doesn't mean you automatically take your next defensive end. You have to look at overall prospects and be able to adapt with how the draft comes so i think um ideally they would get defensive guys and patricia would build around them but if patricia's brought in for his defensive acumen he should be able to coach guys up too so maybe you build this you know superstar offense you you put number one picks uh top talents at each position and then you get patricia to do his thing on defense coach up some guys all of a sudden you have a, a top 10 offense with a solid defense and that's a playoff team can you hear my dog complaining that he has lost a toy under the couch? I cannot. Excellent. Okay, just wanted to make sure because George, whose scouting profile would read, like George's superpower is an ability to lose toys immediately underneath impossible to get places and then whine loudly about them. It's very annoying. Um, That's like a number two overall pick to me. I think I take Copper Locking for a number one. <laughs> Copper, dude, he lost his mind. I've, I've heard my dog. I live with my dog, and I've heard Copper Locking for a bark more than my own dog. Um, the Miami Dolphins, you end up with two second round picks because they traded away number seventy three to Pittsburgh to move up and grab Mike Jacecki, the crazy athletic. Tight end from Penn State. They also scored Taven Bryan 42nd overall. Um, based on Pete, what Pete Prisco and Lock and Forest say, he might not last that long, but I tend to think that, that again, nobody knows what they're talking about this time of year. And then they also landed Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker out of Virginia Tech at 11th overall. That would be an incredible haul for their first three picks in the draft for the Dolphins, even though they don't get a quarterback. Could you see them competing in the AFC East with the, if they actually landed that trio of players? In this scenario, did Tom Brady retire? Uh, no, he's kidnapped. <laughs> then yeah, they could. <laughs> no, he's there. Are they the second best team in the AFC East if they land I, those three players? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the Bills are due to take a step back. They, they, uh, you know, they. Who knows who's going to play quarterback for them? It's going to be a rookie or AJ McCarron. I think Miami has a good shot to be the second best best team. This would obviously be like a a you know, pie in the sky A plus plus draft for them getting Edmonds, Brian, and Gusecki. I I uh, agree that Brian's probably not going to be there. That's just how this draft worked out. I had. A lot of people mock him to the Falcons. I had them picking up Calvin Ridley because he, he slipped a little further than people thought. And, you know, the, the domino effect, Brian just, just happens to be there at 42. Uh, and then when they're sitting there at 73 and Gasecki's still on the board, uh, they obviously need a tight end. And when you can get a, a guy that can make so many plays like, like we expect him to do at the NFL level, 
I think sacrificing the 123rd pick overall, considering they do have more than one fourth round pick to move up 13 spots and grab that tight end, I think is a good, good idea. I, I yeah, the Dolphins confuse me as they do every offseason, but that's fine. Um, can you explain this Vikings draft to me? Frank Ragnow, Uchina, Nuosi, I believe are their top two picks. I, this is my notes. I don't really know when I wrote these notes, RJ, because I'm like, I like my number, one of the questions is, Oh, well, 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 who, if it isn't, if it isn't my son, whose iPad has now died. Excellent. Okay, buddy. Hold on. Um, could you explain to Robbie and myself the Vikings draft? Right. So I think the biggest need for them is offensive line. And they're luckily at number 30 in a good position to get somebody. A rag now has gained a lot of steam in the, in the last few weeks leading up to the draft. There's no, I, there's no lock that he's going to be there at number 30. Uh, it sounds like. Uh, listening to Pete Prisco and, and locking forward do their drafts, he might go, you know, 10 picks earlier, 15 picks earlier. But uh, if he's available, he's just a locked in center. He's probably one of the best center prospects to come out in a little while. And I think that's the kind of guy you take. You plug him in at center. You move anybody else you need to around because you know he's going to be the leader and be there at center for the next 10 years. Um, so I would come back around and even get more depth at, at offensive line if I was them uh, outside of just him because they're talking about moving Mike Remmers inside, so maybe they look at the offensive tackle. Um, if you take Ragnow and you want to keep Elfline and, and that's center, you can play Ragnow at guard for a year and then move him to center. So there's a lot of things you can do when you get a guy that talented at number 30. And then most is just a guy they've, they've – I'm pretty sure they've brought him in for a prospect visit, if I, if I remember my notes correctly. And uh, he's a type of pass rusher that doesn't really have a, a clear home. Um, he's not, not going to play defensive end at his, his weight. But I think you can get him in there. You can apprentice him under Anthony Barr to play that kind of Barr role in case you don't get him signed long term and, and, and you need somebody to take over that, that position of the defense at some point. It seems like Anthony Barr too, with now that the, the Vikings signed Eric Kendricks to a long term extension, Barr might be, might not be long for Minnesota, right? I mean, or really, I mean, like he'll make it through his rookie contract, but it doesn't, he doesn't seem like a candidate for an extension given all the, all the money that they've outlaid for Kirk Cousins. You know, and all the other defensive players that they paid or, or are going to have to pay in the near future, right? Right. And we talked about, I talked earlier about getting the bet with Patricia getting the best out of your defense, kind of elevating their level of play. In Minnesota, that's something that's happened uh, all the time. Mike Zimmer just knows, knows what he's doing when he's coaching a defense. And uh, these guys play hard. They, they play up to their, their uh, potential. So if rather than overpay a guy to stay in bar, why don't you use that, spread that money around, use it on a few different places and then put Nwosu in, in that position if you think he can handle it. They've done a good job too in Minnesota. I think of drafting and in a situation where they're drafting for at the time, like when they took Trey Wayne's, you know, everybody's like, well, they don't really need a cornerback, but they do it. They do a good job of preparing, especially on the defensive side of the ball for a few years down the road and, and preparing for life after they have to, you know, move on from somebody. Yeah. Give, they keep that pipeline going on the defensive side, which is one of the reasons I made that pick. Bro. Yeah. Well, good call, Mike Zimmer. Give me a grade on Bill Belichick's draft. I noticed he gets a, a defender in Marcus Davenport, an offensive lineman in Colton Miller, and his QB that he scientifically designed in a laboratory, Kyle Laletta out of, uh, out of, uh, Richmond, whose family, I think his grandfather was a Navy punter and he is a former lacrosse player. Who um, has an affinity for Rutgers? I'm guessing is the, the third part of that. 
yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if Belichick took him, you know, traded up to number four, three, number three, <laughs> picks and took that guy there. He's such a, in the mold of a Bill Belichick quarterback. Uh, I don't know. I'd give A minus B plus. You know, it's hard hard to tell with any of these guys. But getting Davenport and adding him to a pass rush that's already added Adrian Claiborne, all of a sudden, what what was a weakness last year looks like a strength with those guys. So you lose Matt Patricia's skill to coach these guys up on defense, but then you get more talented players in. I think um, turning Davenport into their next great pass rusher would be great. Miller obviously fills that hole at left tackle. A lot of people have compared him to Nate Solder, so it's easy just to slot him in. I don't know that he's going to be available anymore. And After reading a Lock and Four's Friday article about how it seems like Miller is a high riser, the Raiders might look at him at 10 or trade back a few picks and then take him. So maybe the Patriots, if they're angling to trade up, they might trade up for him. Um, so if I redid it, I'd probably put – Colton Miller a little higher than 31 at this point. And then, yeah, like you said about Aletta, he just seems like the perfect fit to to come in, apprentice for a few years, and then maybe he takes over for Brady when Brady retires. If not, you at least know at that point you need to go get a quarterback. And then you also had him getting uh, Lorenzo Carter out of Georgia, nice pass rusher. And then uh, a guy whose last name I'm probably going to butcher, but I should know since he played at Wake Forest, uh, Duke Ejiofor. Is that right? Geofor. Yeah. Geofor. Okay. Well, good thing I'm learning now. Um, Duke Geofor. So you could see a situation where they suddenly the Patriots with this draft and maybe, maybe we're all sort of missing the forest for the trees or, or at least some of us like to get enthralled with the idea that they're going to draft a court, you know, draft Baker Mayfield. But the reality is the goal of this draft is to find enough defensive players, particularly the pass rush positions and enough offensive line talent and a decent quarterback prospect that they basically reload for it and set the stage for when Bill Belichick eventually walks away and, and he gives the keys to a very, uh, you know, very nice in, in this poorly crafted metaphor, a very nice car to, uh, to Josh McDaniels. Right. And I think front seven has to be the, the yeah. focus because they did just need to bring in talent in the front seven and get better. It's that, that that's kind of how they got exposed in the Super Bowl. Eagles just, were able to do what they, they wanted, you know, what Corey Clement caught a hundred yards on four passes and he's just their second best running back, third best running back. So, uh, I, I think they need to fix the defense more than worrying about trading up for a quarterback. I don't know. You can't, so you can't hear what's going on in this room that I'm dealing with right now. I heard you? a little bit. Okay. You heard the thing about the iPad. Well, Robbie has found a dinosaur egg now, a hatch and grow dinosaur egg. I'm about to launch a, a the Duke a football at my dog because he won't. Leave, it's a zoo up here. This is insane. My wife left me for Jamaica, um, maybe permanently if she, if she could see what was going on here. And, and now everyone is losing their minds. Anyway, where would you take Nick Chubb if he was actually drafted by the Buccaneers in a fantasy draft? Oh, that's a good question. I would figure he'd be the, the lead back. I don't know that he's playing on three downs though. So I'm maybe start looking at him fourth, fifth round. I'm not, I'm not taking him with the lead backs that I think are going to get 300 carries. But uh, it just kind of depends on, um, you know, who else is around in that position. Uh, fourth, fifth, maybe a little high. Maybe start looking him in the range of Lamar Miller and and. Uh, well, see, I think I'd rather have Nick Chubb on a Bucks team where your competition is like Jaquiz Rogers and uh, Peyton Barber, Peyton Barber, than than even Lamar Miller, who just seems to continually disappoint to me. But maybe yeah, not. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's hard to. This is a fake draft that I, I created, and it's hard to. <laughs> Think about the fantasy implications coming out of that, and and, and you know, I think we're already already enough down the looking hole, the looking bleh, down the rabbit hole. The looking the looking glass hole. Looking glass hole rabbits. Yes. Um, so eggs. 
No, it's fine. I, and I, and I, and I dropped that. I don't know. Again, I don't know when I made these notes. I made these notes so far. I like, I prepared in advance and you know how I operate, RJ. I'm not, I'm not necessarily the most, uh, uh, forward thinking human being in terms of prepping my, my, my planning out. But I, I actually did these all, I did these questions like three days ago and then didn't revisit them until right now. And, I, and I'm reading them like, what, you know, what is going on? Uh, who would be your biggest winner and your, well, give me first your biggest winner, uh, based on your fake mock draft. Uh, anybody that gets a franchise quarterback, I think the Giants draft ends up being pretty good. If you can give them Darnold at number two, then what I had them doing is trading back from, uh, number 34. Let me just pull up their draft real quick. You're fine. Yeah, I had them trading back from 34. I had Buffalo moving up to get a receiver. So they get picks 56 and 65, end up with Darnell. Sony Michelle, who might a lot of people sure love Sony Michelle, better than num- number two running back in the class if if they don't like dice. Um, Orlando Brown as a right ta- new right tackle. That trade down gives them three picks right in the early third round. So they get Orlando Brown, Kemiko Ture, and Duke Dawson. Um, so they're getting cornerbacks. They're getting a rush linebacker, right tackle, running back, quarterback, all before the pick seventy is off the board. Um, and if you bring that much talent in, then you add a few more picks later in the draft. I really like. How that shapes up for them. I don't know that they're making the playoffs with that team, but you kind of have to like the future of the team going forward. And they drafted two NC State guys. So anytime you can add two guys from NC State, like I think the last coach to add two, two guys from NC State was Bill Belichick and he, and he won a Super Bowl that year. The, you had to think Justin Jones, who is an underrated guy, defensive lineman, uh, in the sixth round and then Tony Adams in the fourth round. I think what the thing that screams to me about the Giants more than anything, is is why this is to me when I look at your draft, this is why I wouldn't take Saquon Barkley number two overall. Right. Yeah. It's you have to do a look at position value. It's it, look at the teams that that just played in the Super Bowl. The Patriots always have a stable of running backs, none none that they've invested too much in. The Eagles just got by with a fourth round pick. They actually traded a, a fifth rounder for, or the other way around. Um, and then an undrafted free agent, Corey Clement, and a cheap free agent, uh, free agent signing that year. So running back doesn't, isn't really a position that's, that, that you see winning teams built around. Um, so I think if you're the Giants, locking in a franchise quarterback when you have the number two overall pick is the smart thing to do. Even if Barkley's a more exciting player, even if, you know, guys that play fantasy and our Giants fans would love to have them on their team. <laughs> I just don't think that you can make that a point of emphasis with your team when, it was so bad last year. I think I think Dave Gettleman is sitting there at number two and doesn't believe the Josh Allen smokescreen. And so he's said he's he's talking himself into Saquon. He's he is convinced that he doesn't like Rosen Mayfield or um or uh or Josh Allen, I guess. He but he he doesn't like Rosen or Mayfield enough to take them number two. And so he's convincing himself to take Saquon Barkley or Bradley Chubb number two because he's not going to buy into the idea that, that Sam Darnold lands in his lap at number two. But if Darnold is there, I think he does pull the trigger because you really you don't get this shot. I mean, you get you get the shot once when you're when you're when you get a job like this. You know, I mean, you, you get you get an opportunity to take a franchise quarterback number two overall once and if you if you don't take that shot now you're never going to get the shot again and running backs come along you know every year right and if you want to play the uh, smoke screen three dimensional three dimensional chess of it you've got the browns sitting there at number four 
you know they're not taking two quarterbacks. I mean, regardless of right. the reports that we've seen that they're thinking about it, they're not going to take two quarterbacks. So if you're Sam, if you're Gettleman at two, and you're standing there saying, who do the Browns want at four? If I start throwing names out there, maybe I can psych them out into taking mm. a guy they fall in love with number one, then looking at the quarterback number four. We don't think that's going to happen, but why not? You know, it's a, it doesn't cost you anything to, to, to throw those rumors out there. Of, I love Saquon Barkley. I love Bradley Chubb. Then if the Browns are like, oh man, we wanted to get one of those guys at four, a specific guy at four after our quarterback, maybe we should think about taking him number one and then taking that quarterback at four. That's obviously a little too three-dimensional chess, you know, type for to to think that that's actually happening. But who knows? You know, it's the it's the draft season. You don't know what these guys are thinking when well, they throw quotes out there. Well, maybe the fourth dimension is that the Jets are thinking the same thing that we're talking about right now, and they're like, all right, these guys think they're going to get Mayfield at four. Let's let's tell everybody we love Mayfield. So then, if they want Mayfield, they have to take him at one, and then Sam Darnold is going to fall to us at three. After yeah, I don't know. I mean, like that's. Yeah, I think the Jets try to play three-dimensional chess. That's how you end up with Christian Hackenberg. <laughs> that's Christian Hackenberg is through through the looking glass, through the rabbit hole, into another portal in and of itself, where uh, football is is caught by tiny people living on the ground and by people who live outside of the sidelines. Who would you? Who would be your big loser based on this seven-round scenario you crafted? Um, it's, you know, it's, I, I think I put everybody in pretty good value. So it's hard to say one team is an absolute loser. Um, the lions, I think, like, like we said, I didn't find value in, in the defensive guys where they would have went. So they don't, they don't add talent to their defense. I think you can consider them kind of a loser. The Colts, I, I had them take Saquon Barkley because they weren't able to take Bradley Chubb. They went number five. So they went Barkley at six. That's obviously not the biggest need for them. So as much as a team with three second round picks can be a loser, you know, them not being able to get a Bradley Chubb or a difference maker as a pass rusher, I think you can mark them down as a little bit of loser in this mock. Um, the teams that don't have early picks, you know, the Texans and the Rams, it's just, you look at their draft class and it's hard to get excited about it because you just don't have anybody nearly the talent of a first rounder in it. So I, if I'm going to pick, I'm going to probably say the guys that don't just don't have that many picks. All right, we uh we blitzed through our time together, RJ, on this lovely Friday night. Thank you for uh thank you for taking the time to break down the seven round mock. We've got a uh let's see, you can follow RJ on Twitter at RJ White One. You can go to CBSSports.com backslash NFL backslash draft, where RJ is the draft over overlord, draft czar. How would you describe yourself? Uh editor's fine, but if you want to use those color those colorful words I'm I think I think the I think that the aforementioned Jeff Gertula should promote you to draft czar, and you should demand it and, and tell him you're leaving if he doesn't give you a czar title. It will spoiler it win poorly for you. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, all the best laid plans of Brinson always go go how you plan them out. So of course they do. I mean, I I anticipated coming up here and talking to you for a few minutes and, and having some peace and quiet and some football talk. And then my dog is underneath the bed chewing up a golf ball, and my son has stolen my phone and is playing some sort of Nick Jr. game. So with that in mind, let's get out of here. Again, thank you to everybody for listening, for subscribing, for rating and reviewing. And uh, we will talk to you guys on Monday. RJ, thanks, buddy. Thanks.